Hi guys, you McGann, and welcome back to yet another episode of There I Read It, where I'm going over the Harry Potter books chapter by chapter, and today is chapter, I think, 16, called The Chamber of Secrets in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, duh. And in this chapter, there is so much chaos going on that I am just gonna jump into my notes and skip the summary. So this chapter starts out one week from June 1st, and June 1st is exam day. Yes, exams are still on, much to the chagrin of all of the students who had no idea that they would still have to be tested. If you don't like that, kids, you should try America. All they do is standardize test kids to death. And Ron is terrified to do his exams because his wand is still busted. And at this point, it's just kind of like, Harry, come on, help your friend. I know Harry having this attitude of, well, I'm not going to speak up even though I have the money to solve this problem. It's getting a little bit of a ridiculous recurring theme in this book. You know, even though the Weasleys paid to treat him well and keep him alive for a good chunk of the summer, he did not volunteer to buy any of their textbooks. And again, even if Molly Weasley or Arthur Weasley would have gone, no, 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 you're a guest, we wouldn't dream of taking money from you, I would have at least liked to have seen Harry offer it. Especially when it gets to the point where they end up at Gringotts and Harry sees inside their vault that there's only a few coins in there and Molly has to take them all for school supplies. I mean, Harry, come on, help in some way. They've been taking care of you. They've been good to you. Be good back. And then we had the whole debacle with the Quidditch team and the Nimbus 2001s for all of the Slytherins, whereas the Gryffindors were way, 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 way at a disadvantage with their older brooms. Like, Harry, you have the money. You could help stock some brooms here. And now we have Ron, who has had this broken wand for the entire school year. And mind you, it's only broken because he's associated with Harry, really, when it boils down to everything. Because Dobby was never trying to keep Ron from going to Hogwarts. He was trying to keep Harry from going. And at no point, Harry couldn't go, hey, Ron, it's okay. You know, let, let me have your back here. I will get you a new wand. And even if it's an issue that Harry can't leave the school to get into his vault or to go shopping, that's also a non-issue because in the first book, Dumbledore signed a note and let Hagrid into his vault. So I'm sure Harry could have worked out something similar with Hagrid or any other of the staff or teachers or something. There are options. We could have done this. This could be a resolved issue. But I will also let Harry off the hook here a little bit because Ron is definitely to blame too. Because initially, Ron didn't want to tell his mom that his wand was broken because it broke in the flying car scandal. And he knew she would just say, well, it's your own fault, deal with it. So I get that. I have a mom who's a little bit much too. So I, I understand that. But between September and now the end of May, Ron couldn't think of any reason or excuse as to why he might have broken his wand and need a new one. Wizards really don't know how to use logic, do they? But based on what happens by the end of this chapter, I also think maybe Ron couldn't have gotten a new wand for plot convenience reasons. But it's just like, come on at this point, not even for Christmas Ron can't get a new wand because it wasn't even his original wand to begin with. It was a hand-me-down. I mean, his parents could have and should have, if Ron had informed them properly, went to Egypt over Christmas break one day later and come to Hogwarts to sign out Ron and take him to Ollivander's. I mean, come on. 
but stories got a story. So now it is three days before exams and the mandrakes are ready to be cut, which again is a horrifying prospect with how sentient they are. And after McGarnagle makes that announcement to all of the tables in the Great Hall, Jenny comes in and she's just all like twisted and writhing and she has something to say, but she doesn't have the words to get it out of her mouth. And then Percy shows up and she just kind of, you know, freaks out and scampers off really quickly. And when Ron and Harry are like, hey, why'd you scare her off? She was about to tell us something important. And Percy's like, oh no, I know what that's about. Jenny walked in on me doing er, uh, something, but it's nothing really. It's quite normal. It's nothing. And I, that makes me wonder if Percy was um, knowing himself in a kind of biblical way there, I guess, to try and keep it PG. Getting busy party of one. I, I really wonder too if the book is going to explain why Percy has been acting so strange because we're getting down to the wire here and it's still one of the bigger mysteries in this book honestly is why Percy's writing all these secret letters and why he's being caught wandering the halls where he shouldn't be and now Jenny walked in on him doing something that uh, nobody wants to own up to what it was. So whatever Percy was doing he fully accepts that he has scarred his sister and made her terrible terrified of him. I wonder if maybe he has a girlfriend if that's gonna be the little twist there. But moving on with the rest of the school day, Lockhart's class has ended and he's marching the kids to their next class and he's like, I don't know why I have to do that. And Ron and Harry are like, yeah, why should you have to do that? Yeah, we can make it from here. And Lockhart's like, oh yeah, you're right. Let me just bolt right now and get away from all you kids. I'm gonna prep for my next class. Peace out. And so Ron and Harry use that opportunity like they always use every opportunity to sneak off in another direction from the rest of their class. Problem is though, McGarnagle shows up and catches them and she's like, what are you doing? And they say that she has these very thin lips. So mm, she's not happy. And Harry being a little bit genius here, lays it on pretty thick. He's like, oh, we just want to go tell Hermione and whisper in her ear that the Mandrake potion is coming and everything's going to be all right. And it actually makes McGarnagle start crying and she's like, oh yes, I know the friends of the victims are having it so hard. You guys go ahead. You go up to Madame Pomfrey's. Tell her I gave you permission to be there. <laughs> and even though that worked and it's a pretty good cover because the boys are actually trying to get into Moaning Myrtle's bathroom, it again shows a level of manipulativeness that I, I think the movies really try to hide that Harry has. And it's a quality about him that I don't really care for personally. I mean, Harry is a pretty naughty kid and he's been rather arrogant and oh, I'm better than you and I'm smarter than you and I'm, I'm gonna run circles around you and I'll lie to get my way. And even if I feel bad about something, I'll find a way to feel worse for myself. And, and they're all just things that, ew, they make Harry seem just so gross. And then the whole thing with making McGarnagle cry because Harry is proclaiming such great outpouring of sadness towards Hermione. I mean, that really does show that McGarnagle has probably one of the biggest hearts at Hogwarts. I kind of got the impression in the first book that she only gave Harry a broomstick because she was such an oorah Gryffindor Quidditch fan. But it's kind of nice to see this more vulnerable, emotional side of McGarnagle too because she really does care about her students. She's not just some stone-faced transfiguration witch who's all business, 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 numbers, 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 work, study, work, study, work. 
So now I can see that education is super important to her, but not more important than the students. So I'm glad that she is the temporary headmaster of Hogwarts. I think if it would have gone to anybody else, they would have just been, what? Students? Who cares? What? But now that Harry has told this story and Madame Pomfrey's involved and McGarnagle is going to go tell Professor Binns why they're not in class, they're like, well, now there's too many people that know what's going on. We have to go see Hermione. And Hermione is just in that bed, petrified, not moving, can't seem to hear a thing. But Harry notices, and I don't know how nobody has noticed this since like February, that Hermione has a piece of paper clenched in her hand. And after he really works at it for a while, because Hermione's got a death grip on it, he gets that paper out and on page 290 here of the original Scholastic books, I will read you what that paper says. Of the many fearsome beasts and monsters that roam our land, there is none more curious or deadly than the basilisk, known also as the King of Serpents. This snake, which may reach gigantic size and live many hundreds of years, is born from a chicken's egg hatched beneath a toad. Its methods of killing are most wondrous. For, aside from its deadly and venomous fangs, the basilisk has a murderous stare, and all who are fixed with the beam of its eye shall suffer instant death. Spiders flee before the basilisk, for it is their mortal enemy, and the basilisk flees only from the crowing of the rooster, which is fatal to it. And then on the bottom of that page is scribbled out the word pipes. But what really strikes me super weird is that Hermione has that page in her hand and it's not a copied page or a page she wrote out. It's said to be a ripped out library book page and I just don't see Hermione having the kind of personality to destroy a library book like that. I could see her checking it out. I could see it maybe being in her bag that was brought into the hospital wing with her. But it just seems like it's such a lazy plot convenience to have Hermione gripping this one page from a library book, like she would never take that. I don't know, I, I can't envision at all that she would rip a book on purpose, no matter how big of an emergency it was. She would bring the whole book, plop it down in front of them, scroll through a billion pages, and then go right here. But she wouldn't just rip out a page like that. That bothers me, that, that doesn't feel right. Then moving along, other things are happening, and Harry uses the word parcel tongue when previously the word had been parcel mouth. And I noticed throughout the rest of that chapter, it switched back and forth between parcel tongue and parcel mouth. And you know, that kind of bugged me too, because it was never explained to Harry that you could say parcel tongue and it mean the same thing. So he totally made up a new word and then it just stuck. But Harry realizes that the stare of a basilisk will kill, so that means nobody looked at it. And Harry realizes that Colin saw the basilisk through his camera lens. Justin must have seen it through nearly headless Nick, the ghost, and they still don't know what Nick's deal is or if he can be fixed, but surely he can't die twice, right? Then Hermione and what is described as the Ravenclaw girl, which, which bugs me too, because Percy directly said her name was Penelope. So 
So to me, that's another bad look on Harry that he can't even be bothered to remember one of the five or six people who have been petrified by the basilisk. It's just gotten to be so old hat that Harry can't be bothered to remember the name Penelope. But Hermione and Penelope probably saw the basilisk through a mirror, which is why they found that little compact on the floor next to them. And then Mrs. Norris had to have seen the basilisk through the water reflection with the puddle on the floor. The boys also realized that the page says roosters are fatal to the basilisk and Hagrid's roosters had been getting murdered. And in case anybody has never been a chicken owner and they don't know this, let me tell you firsthand, chickens will shred a snake. I know the page about the basilisk says that it's the rooster crowing that's fatal to it, but I feel like that has to be related to the issue that a chicken will absolutely destroy a snake if it comes near it. Chickens are not just yummy. They are not cute and sweet little pets. They will murder and destroy and then eat some rocks. But after saying all of that, the boys then come to probably the most obvious issue, which is that the entrance to the Chamber of Secrets was probably in Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. And just as the boys are about to go inform McGarnagal of everything they know, they hear her coming down the hall saying, all students to their dorms and all teachers to the staff room. And Harry and Ron are in the staff room, so they have to hide. And what they overhear from the teacher conference is that a student has been abducted into the Chamber of Secrets. And McGarnagal expects that this is going to be the end of Hogwarts. The school is going to close down forever over this. And that kind of made me wonder, has Hogwarts just not been telling the parents about these kids getting petrified? Because if the terms are correct and all of these children are half-blooded or muggle-born children, then I cannot see a scenario where their parents would react kindly or lackadaisically to hearing their child has been petrified and their statues now. So it kind of makes me suspect that when all this went down and Dumbledore made the original call, he was like, oh, no, no, nobody tell call Creevy's parents what happened to him. We have Mandrake coming. It'll be fine. You know, Colin can go through most of the school year petrified, learn nothing, maybe have to repeat his first year, but as long as we don't have to explain it to his milkman father, we're good. And I could see how that could be very dangerous for Hogwarts to explain this sort of thing to any kind of muggle, because if that muggle gets upset enough, they are probably going to have enough information to expose the wizarding world to every Everybody. And, you know, just a guess here, but I doubt you can charm the entire country or planet or whatever once that info is out. So maybe they had a reason to want to be very hush-hush, but yeah, there is not one mention of parents being notified of their children being petrified. So in that regard, the whole thing comes off a little bit more sleazy because I, I can't imagine not one of those kids who have been petrified have a parent that's come to sit by their bedside and do the dutiful parent thing. It's weird, right? I'm not the only one that sees this problem, am I? Anyways, under the old message on the wall, there is now a new one that says, her skeleton will lie in the chamber forever. And the student who was abducted turned out to be Ginny Weasley. And since she's a pureblood born from two wizard parents, Ron thinks that Ginny got taken because she figured out how to get into the Chamber of Secrets and the heir to Slytherin couldn't have that. So he just took her and, and they're dreading that, oh my gosh, is Jenny dead? What's going on? Like, how can we help her? And Ron, Harry, and all of the teachers in the staff meeting are just flipping out. 
oh my gosh, what can we do? How did this happen? This is horrible. And Lockhart comes in just like, I was asleep. I didn't know that there was a meeting until this moment. Sorry. And Harry describes the look that all the teachers give to Lockhart as being very close to hatred. And suddenly all the teachers start chiming in about, oh good, you're here Lockhart. It's time to put your bravery to the test since you've done all these other fantastic things. You need to go to the Chamber of Secrets and rescue this student and, and you've got to do it right now. And Lockhart's trying to go, oh no, no, oh please no. No, no, and they just keep prodding and pushing and hitting all his little ego buttons of like, oh, well, you surely can handle it since you did this and that. So Lockhart reluctantly agrees and goes to get ready to uh, go save Jenny Weasley. And as soon as Lockhart leaves, all of the rest of the teachers are like, whew, thank goodness we got him out of our hair. But after this meeting and everybody's cleared out, Ron and Harry come out of hiding and they're like, we should tell Lockhart what we know. So they go to see Lockhart and in his office, he's actually packing to run away as fast as possible. And Lockhart finally admits that he stole his book ideas from people who did them and then used a memory charm to make the real heroes forget what they had done. And then he tries to use his memory charm on Harry and Ron, but uh, Harry's just a little bit faster and he goes, expel Armus and Lockhart's wand goes flying, Ron catches it and throws it out the window. So now Lockhart is a helpless, worthless piece of crap, basically. But you know, part of Lockhart's reasoning for why he stole these adventures from wizards and witches who actually did them was that the people who did the things and saved the people and fought the monsters were not as visually attractive as he was. So Lockhart's logic is basically like, well, nobody would buy these books if some uggo were on the cover. So he almost feels like he was doing those people a favor. Like his level of narcissistic delusion is off the charts. But that also kind of shows us that Lockhart must have thought that Harry was at least reasonably attractive because otherwise he wouldn't have seen Harry as such a threat to his own fame. You know, every chance Lockhart got, he was kind of trying to knock Harry down another peg and go, no, no, you're under me. Okay, me first, then you. Me first, then you. So either the issue was that Harry was so famous already that Lockhart couldn't suppress all those people, or Lockhart was worried that Harry could overtake his place as, you know, the top dog of writing adventure stories, whatever his genre exactly is. But now the boys are pretty much holding up Lockhart at one point and forcing him into the bathroom saying, you are going to the Chamber of Secrets with us, Mr. Fake Hero. But at this stage, Lockhart doesn't have his wand anymore. Ron just chucked it out a window, so he is utterly useless. I don't see why they're dragging him along unless this is becoming some weird snuff book and Harry just wants to delight in Lockhart being murdered by a basilisk. I mean, other than that, there is no logical reason to bring Lockhart along. It, I don't know, maybe they thought if they got out of the chamber alive and they didn't bring Lockhart, then he could be waiting there to erase their memories. But uh, I don't know. I mean, Lockhart was worried that Harry and Ron would expose him as a fraud, so maybe that's why they brought him? You know, that would keep him from making up a different story and changing the narrative while the boys were doing the real hero work. But just bringing him into the chamber unarmed, it, it seems like a death sentence. So uh, I, I don't know how those two things weigh out, but I don't like it. And when they get into the bathroom, Harry asks Moaning Myrtle how she died. 
And Myrtle was just like so elated, like nobody has ever asked her that question before. And it's almost like she developed an instant crush on Harry in that moment. And eventually Myrtle says, oh, I died, you know, somewhere right over there. And Harry looks at the sinks and finds that one of the pipes has a tiny snake etched on it. And he goes, oh, that's the entrance. So Harry tries speaking at the pipe in parcel tongue and the word open up is what does the trick. I don't know if he just lucked into the password on his first try or if it's just the fact that, well, you speak snake, so pipe open. But once Harry says open up in parcel tongue, this huge man-sized pipe is formed under the sink there and they make lots Lockhart go first because, again, murder much? And the pipe goes down for what they think is miles and miles under the school. They kind of settle on the idea that they have to be under the lake. And while they're going through this corridor, Lockhart's knees give out. And there is no mercy for Lockhart in being that level of afraid. And I find that really strange, especially since Harry and Ron themselves just recently had their bodies giving out on them with Aragog and his family. So it, again, here's another example where Harry doesn't have empathy for somebody else and true Lockhart has pretty much ticked him off beyond repair at this point. But it seems like, especially since the spider thing was only a few weeks ago at most, that they would have been a little bit more understanding about Lockhart's level of fear. But it all might have been a ruse anyways because when Ron goes to make Lockhart get up, Lockhart knocks Ron down and takes his wand. And Lockhart's immediate plan is to make the boys forget everything and then go back up to the surface, say he was too late to save Jenny Weasley, and that Harry and Ron lost their minds when they saw her dead body. So that's why they're crazy now, no need to investigate further. And so Lockhart uses Obliviate, but it's still Ron's broken wand, which conveniently Harry, Mom, nobody ever seemed to fix or replace over the entire school year. You would think that Lockhart would have noticed that it was a broken wand and and know what kind of repercussions to expect from that, but maybe it was just too dark and he was too scared. But the wand explodes and Harry ends up isolated on the other side of the tunnel with all these rocks blocking the way back to Ron and uh, Lockhart, which Ron says they're okay, so it's not like he has to worry about them, but Harry's like, okay, I'm gonna go forward, I'm, I'm gonna figure this out, I'm gonna get Jenny if she's alive, just try to make a path back for me, Ron, please. And Harry finds at least 20 feet of green basilisk skin and Moaning Myrtle had mentioned that the basilisk had these bright crazy yellow eyes. So this is a very creepy looking snake at this point. And you know, I'm the kind of gal that spiders really freak me out, but snakes don't bother me. Like I love reptiles, so I'd kind of like to see said snake behind glass where it can't get me, of course, but uh, I'd be curious. I'm also getting like a vague picture of what the basilisk was in the movie and it's very hazy because it's been 18 years or so since I've seen it, but I feel like that snake was way, way bigger than 20 feet. But maybe it's old skin, who's to say? I haven't seen the basilisk in person in this book yet, so anything could change at any moment. Anyways, after going through a bunch of twisty, turny halls, Harry finally finds this completely bricked up wall that has two serpents intertwined on it. And in that carving, the serpents have emeralds for eyes. Then Harry says, open in parcel tongue and the door opens and I have no idea what happens next, but I'm very excited to uh, read the next two chapters. I think I'm gonna try to get it all done today. 
Of course, you won't see it all today. I'll still have it released on my normal schedule, but um, oh, the intrigue. Anyways, guys, I'm going to cut this here so that I can read the next chapter and we'll see you next time, family members. Well, family members, we're almost done, but I want to invite you to hang out with me in some other places. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as my own personal self, and I have a Facebook page too, but I mostly just post photos over there. And sometimes people say, hey, McGann, I want to mail you something. How do I do that? Easy. Just click the About tab on my channel page, and my most current P.O. Box info will be right there. I also run another channel, The Family. It's really a hodgepodge channel where we might post anything. Oh yeah, and I also sell shirts and stickers and stuff with the family and the fangirl logos. If that is your cup of tea, I have a link in every description of every video. Finally, if you want to help out the fangirl channel and make sure I'm putting out video essays for years to come, the best way you can help is by subscribing and watching more of my videos, whether they're new, old, whatever. Maybe even share one or two on social media, help spread the word. People who watch to the end of videos like you helps to tell the site, hey, this is a good video. We should recommend it to other people. So if you made it this far, leave me a comment of something like, hey, I made it to the end. Love ya. See you next time, family members. Bye.